take a deep breath, relax your shoulders, and I want you to listen to the resurrection story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. God's wonderful surprise. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer, the king that God had promised? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yes, but whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God sent an earthquake and an angel from heaven. When the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away, sat on top of it, and waited. At the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other woman headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path through the olive groves until they reached the tomb. And immediately they noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening into the dark tomb. But wait, Jesus' body was gone. And something else, a shining man was standing there with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said, but they couldn't help it. They screamed anyways. The angel asked them, what are you doing here? This is a tomb and tombs are for dead people. The woman couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's alive again, he said. And their hearts leapt. And then the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt for a moment as if they had woken from a nightmare. The other woman rushed home, but Mary stayed behind. How could this be true? Jesus was definitely dead. How could he be alive? Just then, Mary heard someone else in the garden. Perhaps it's the gardener, she thought. He'll know where Jesus' body is. I don't know where Jesus is, Mary said urgently. I can't find him. But it was all right. Jesus knew where she was, and he had found her. Mary. Only one person said her name like that. She could hear her heart thumping. She turned around. She could just make out a figure. She shaded her eyes to see, and she thought that she was dreaming. But she wasn't dreaming. She was seeing. Jesus! Mary fell to the ground. Sudden tears filled her eyes and great sobs shook her whole body. And all she wanted in that moment was to cling to Jesus and never let him go. You'll be able to hold on to me later, Mary, Jesus said gently, and always be close to me. But now go tell the others that I'm alive. Mary ran and ran all the way to the city. She had never ran so fast or so far in her entire life. She felt like she could have run forever. She didn't even feel like her feet touched the ground. The sun seemed to be dancing and gleaming and bounding across the sky, racing with her and shining brighter than she could ever remember in the, in the clear, fresh air. 
And it seemed to her that morning as she ran, almost as if the whole world had been made anew, almost as if the whole world was singing for joy, the trees, the tiny sounds in the grass, the birds, and her heart. Was God really making every sad thing come untrue? Was he making even death come untrue? She couldn't wait to tell Jesus' friends. They wouldn't believe it, she laughed. She was right, of course. Church, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's just say that one more time together, proclaiming the truth of ages that Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen, you can be seated. As you're taking your seat, if you're new with us to Trinity or you're visiting family for Thanksgiving weekend, you might be like, wait, does Trinity celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Do they celebrate Easter every Thanksgiving? And the answer would be no in short, but in long, we have been going through the Bible in a year. All of 2023, we've been journeying through major stories of the Bible and this day, Late November, as we're getting close to Revelation and the end, we see Jesus, the Savior that died for us, and he is alive. He's risen. He's risen indeed. And, and this is where we sit this morning with the reality of the resurrection, how it impacts us, how it moves us, and how we become people of the resurrection every day ourselves. With that idea of resurrection in mind, that's, how, that's the posture I wanna go before the Lord in prayer to start the message this morning. So if you would, just take a posture of openness before God. Maybe you can put your hands out in front of you. Maybe you can just bow your head. Maybe you can just sit there, relaxed, ready to hear from Jesus. And what I'd love you to do is I'd love you to just say a quick prayer, 10, 20 seconds in your own words, in, in your own heart, silently, or maybe under your breath. And just say, Jesus, would you fill me afresh with your resurrection life today? Something like that. Take a moment and let's pray. As you prayed that for yourself, Jesus, fill us afresh, fill, fill me afresh. Would you pray for those around you? Would you pray, Lord, would you just pour out your resurrection in your life on the people that I'm sitting next to, on the people in this room? And would you even pray for me? Would you pray that God would, through his resurrection, speak and move through me? Jesus, this is our prayer that we would experience resurrection life like it's our first love again, that, that you would fill us afresh, fill us up with your hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Would you fill us with your spirit, fill us with resurrection, that in the hardest of times, in the most difficult of circumstances, we would see Jesus high and lifted up, knowing what pain is like, knowing what even death is like, yet conquering the grave. And so, Jesus, we just cling, cling to you. We cling to your resurrection. And we pray that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus is the same spirit that lives in us. And we listen for your voice and your leading this morning. 
It's in Jesus' name, the risen Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I can't think of a much more appropriate weekend, though it's not Easter Sunday to talk about the resurrection because it's the thing we are most grateful for, that Jesus has defeated death. He has conquered the grave and he's alive. He's alive. He's alive today. If you're into storytelling or movies or books, you know that the beginning of this message didn't do a great job of building any anticipation or wonder or or tension at all. We just kind of came right out and said, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And the reason that might seem like a spoiler is because we're jumping right to the, the pinnacle. We're jumping right to the most important part of all of the Bible, that Jesus is alive. I don't feel as bad about doing it that way because that's actually how the Bible does it as well. All throughout Jesus' ministry and, and even as he is finishing his life on the cross, dying on our behalf, he's talking time and time again about how he must die and he will rise again. Matthew 27, 53, which Mike preached on last week about the, the crucifixion, Jesus' generosity of the cross, how he, he bore and just took on our sin to save us. Matthew 27, 53 says, Then people came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city, appearing to many people. I tried to take the lens as I was studying this passage of, of reading it for the first time. I would encourage all of us today to just embrace reading and experiencing resurrection life like it's the first time. It's our first love. Back to the foundation of, of all we are as God's people. And, and as I was reading that, I was thinking, man, that, that would be a little bit of a spoiler to be reading through Matthew. Jesus is in his final moments on the cross. And then it says, and after Jesus' resurrection, you're like, wait, what? He rises again. He's about to die. He's about to, he's about to be killed. He rises again. But thankfully, the Bible isn't for our entertainment or even for just storytelling. The Bible is for our salvation because it leads us to Jesus. The, the Bible's all about leading us to Jesus. The, the Bible Project actually quotes, it's a unified story leading to Jesus. That's what the Bible is. It's a unified story leading to Jesus. And specifically, it's leading to this moment, this day, the resurrection of Jesus. Everything hinges on it. It's where the, the greatest crescendo of everything comes to pass. Jesus is alive. He's alive indeed. You see, Scripture guides us to Jesus as our salvation, and it's for our salvation. It's for the very essence of who we are that, we ha- that he had to die, and he had to rise again. Jesus talked about this in detail, as we just said, while he was alive. Everything pointed to it. He talked about how the Son of Man would have to be killed, given into the hands of sinners, and then on the third day be raised again. We know this is important, right? Like we have Easter Sunday. We talk about the resurrection all throughout the year. We talk about life and how it comes out of Jesus and and his life. We talk about all of these different things so often, but we can't underemphasize. We can't even play it down to the fact that it is the crux, the foundation, the most integral part of our faith. In fact, Paul's words about this are striking. Paul's words about resurrection and salvation are striking. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. I shouldn't be standing up here saying a word 
We shouldn't be gathering as the body of Christ. We should honestly just, in fact, go home. We, we need to orient our lives around a different thing if Christ hasn't been raised. Everything hinges on the resurrection. And if it hasn't happened, we can go home. But God, but God, he takes the hardest of things, death itself, the worst pain, and resurrects it into life and our salvation. But God, let's read these greatest words, the greatest story ever told from Luke 24, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 6. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared, and they went to the tomb. Note for a second that in taking spices to a tomb, what were they anticipating? They were anticipating a dead body. They were anticipating their dead rabbi, leader, best friend, and they were going to honor him one last time by taking care of his body and making sure it wouldn't rot for burial. That's, that's what the anticipation was. That's where the story finishes if the verses don't continue. But God, they do. They went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then in verse 6, the angel says, He is not here. He has risen. Here we are, church, 2,000 years later, still gathered, still the body of Christ because of one breath, one moment, one time where Jesus took on death and beat it, the resurrection. Would you do me a favor? Would you just look around the room for a second? Look at the people next to you, maybe the ones you came with. Look at the people in, in, in the back, in the front. And, and as you look around the room for a moment, I want you to just think of the stories that those faces and those people you love and maybe you don't know go with. You know the reason if you're a believer today, we're all in this room is because of Jesus' resurrection, because of his transformation, death to life. I want you to do me another favor. Would you imagine in your mind's eye with me the global church? Imagine the churches in underground, dirty, dusty basements. Imagine the churches in the most beautiful cathedrals with the most precious artwork. Imagine the churches meeting outdoors in the elements. Uh, imagine just the global church, every continent with me in your mind's eye, worshiping Jesus, receiving the preached word of God. You know, all of those things from this room in Indianapolis to across the world, that is happening right now, 2,000 years later, because of the resurrection, because Jesus is alive. He's alive indeed. Billions, and billions with a B, have been transformed. You're one of them because Jesus took on death and he triumphed over it. If you follow Jesus, you've been changed. We are here, we are God's people, and he's still writing a resurrection story today. Speaking of stories, I want to help kind of illustrate how important the resurrection is through sharing Michaela and I's home-buying journey that started a couple years ago as we were looking for a house. I tend to be a decently extreme person, so when I'm in for something, I'm all in for something. And so I was the same way with home buying. I wanted to do all this research and investigation and know the finances and everything about it, and I just learned so much. It was a really great time, and I loved it. 
And there was one thing in particular that, that I would do. I would spend a lot of time online on those like Zillow's and Realtor.com, just like looking for houses, looking for houses, looking for houses. I probably shouldn't say it in present company, but I actually spent some time at work looking at houses. So maybe, maybe that's not great. But there was this one time when a house just jumped off the, the page for me. And, and it was this house that was about a thousand square feet bigger than we were able to afford. It was like overlooking some water. And I was like frantically scrolling through the pictures because it was a, a hot market. It was, it was a time where you had to go quick. And I was scrolling through the pictures like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I sent it to, to Michaela first to be like, hey, do, do you want to send this? And we should go check it out. And I, I was so excited about it. I, I was all in. And I get that kind of deflating text back from Michaela because um, she's a little bit more thought out and, and detail-oriented than I am. She said, did you read the description? And I was like, of course I didn't read the description. A, a picture's worth a thousand words. Why would I need to read the description? I, I saw the pictures. They're amazing. Even the kitchen and bathrooms are great. Apparently, I was learning that's what makes a house really attractive is the kitchen and the bathrooms. It, it was awesome. And so I, I go read the description and this two-word sentence was pretty deflating and, and didn't allow us to move any further. The two-word sentence was foundation issues. Foundation issues. Apparently, as I learned in the home buying process, the foundation's a pretty important part of a house. And you don't want to buy a house that they come out right and say foundation issues. As we just did a little bit of further investigation, apparently all you needed to do, Michaela was right, was read the description. It ended up being the case that this house had such a bad foundation that they were recommending you bulldoze the house and build a new one. The reason it was so affordable and so nice was because you were simply buying the land it was on. There would have been no house that would have come with it. Foundation issues. Can I say this, church? The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation, the bedrock of Christianity. And praise be to God, there are no issues. He is the rock of our salvation. It is sound ground to stand on. He and his resurrection is where we build our lives. Everything about Christianity and the reason we're here 2,000 years later is because the foundation of our faith is the resurrection. That Jesus actually took on death, beat death, and resurrects us today. Do you know that you can't raise yourself? You can't transform your own life. You can't be the one to open up your heart and make it new. Jesus has to be the one to do that and he offers his resurrection. Whether you've received it many years ago, you're wrestling through wanting to receive it or haven't even received it, he offers it as a free gift to you. Could we get more thankful on this Thanksgiving weekend that Jesus made possible the greatest of relationship, reconciliation with him, that he made possible life and life abundant freely by his death and by his resurrection? We, we can't get more grateful. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us if the resurrection is the bedrock, if it's the foundation of all we are as Christians, if we're this kind of people, well, what does it mean? And I think this slide is on the screen. It's, what does this mean? This means that we as Christians, at our very core, in our essence, our essence as Christians, we are a resurrection people. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are a resurrection people. We are a resurrection people. We are a resurrection people. We're full of life, generosity, hope, 
peace, redemption. We are walking testimonies of God's goodness that no matter what we've been through, no matter what we're currently in, there's a God that loves you. There's a God that will see you through. Redemption is coming. Resurrection is coming. That's the kind of people we are. It's in our bones. It's in who we are. In our very essence as Christians, we are a resurrection people. It begs the question that I've wondered quite a few times throughout my journey following Jesus and even looking out among our church today, I've talked about it with many of you. This question of, if that's who we are, why are there so many times that I don't feel like a resurrection person? Why are there so many times when I don't feel like I have the hope, the life, the joy, the generosity, that resurrection life entails? Why does it feel so difficult? Why do I know who I am up here, but in my heart, in my emotions, in my day-to-day life, I don't feel it holistically? Why do I feel like the wondering men and women who visited the tomb and actually were bringing spices to a dead body? Why do I feel like the frightened disciples that even after Jesus was resurrected that they were frightened and scared and what's going on? I'm confused. Why do I feel like the discouraged ones on the road to Emmaus that had lost hope? Before we answer that question of, of why do we not feel resurrection all the time, it's important to note that being a resurrection person doesn't mean we move past the pain, the hardship, and the difficulty. If you all were here last week, we heard this message about how Jesus doesn't bypass our pain. He sits in it with us and he actually takes on our pain. I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, go check it out, EncounterTrinity.com. Pastor Mike just had a wonderful message about that idea. But Jesus doesn't bypass our pain. He doesn't just move past it and say, all right, here, resurrection, here we go. Instead, what resurrection guarantees, you know what resurrection guarantees? it guarantees a death has happened. The only way you're resurrected is that death had to happen. And so there will be times, the reason we don't feel it all the time is because we are in a world that is full of death, conflict, difficulty, hardship, pain. And so the world around us feels the weight of the brokenness of sin. And yet all the more we're called to be a resurrection people because he's redeeming all things, not bypassing them. When you're not feeling it, when you actually feel doubt and pain and hurt and disbelief, Jesus' posture towards you is this, as we're about to read. His posture towards you is compassion, patience, and love. If you're ever in a hard season where you don't feel like the resurrection feels very real to you and it's shaming, discouraging, singling you out as you're the only one who would think this. You're the only one who's ever gone through this. That's not the voice of Jesus. That's the voice of the enemy. The voice of the enemy that tries to knock you down rather than build you up. Do you know that God sounds like Jesus? Because Jesus is God. And so as God sounds like Jesus, it is compassion, patience, and love that invites us back to resurrection when we don't feel it ourselves. I want to go to Luke 24 and I want to tell the story of resurrection, of how we live into that story today as the same people who experienced resurrection. We're here today because God has made us new. He's made us alive in him, but we also experience doubt, fear, and discouragement. 
Who's ready in the midst of that complexity to read the gospel? Gospel means good news. It's translated good news. I love the quote that it's not only good news, it's the best news ever. Who's ready to read the best news ever? To be captured, undone, changed by this news? Or as my favorite pastor likes to say, to see the place where all the beauty comes from. The person, the risen person of Jesus. Luke 24, starting in verse 6, where we were. If you want to open your Bibles, you can follow along. Luke 24, starting in verse 6. Let's read the gospel. Let's read this complex, beautiful resurrection story. Starting in verse 6. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all of the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, he got up, he ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. We're not going to be in verse 40. So moving from verse 12 to verse 40, this is where Jesus has now appeared to them as a group. And here he is, Luke 24, 40. When Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. And while he, they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to this. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. This is the word of the Lord, church. It still speaks true today. I opened up by saying it's the best news ever told, but do you see the complexity, the still disbelief, wondering, discouragement in the middle of all of it. You see how even when Jesus is in their midst showing them his hands, none of us have ever touched Jesus' hands or his feet where the scars are, where, where death was taken out on him. And yet they still disbelieved because they were still in amazement, a wonder, like what's happening? In the middle of resurrection, there's all of this tension. The, the story I skipped was the story of Emmaus Road in this passage. I would encourage you, it's Luke 24, 13 through 35. I would encourage you some morning this week, spend some time in the Emmaus Road passage. So, so some time this week when you're reading the word and just let God speak to you. I think it's so pertinent to how we live as resurrection people. But I'm gonna summarize it for us in, in, in just a, a couple of minutes here. After the women came back from the tomb and said, Jesus is alive, he's alive. And the disciples were kind of like, that's nonsense. What, what are you talking about? A couple of them left Jerusalem and went back home. We can assume by their language and their posture that they were going back home because they thought the hope they were living for the past few years in Jesus was gone. It was over. Passover festival had finished and they were on this journey back to Emmaus. From Emmaus to Jerusalem 
was a seven-mile journey. Depending on how fast of a speed walker you are, that's about a three to four-hour journey. Early on in their journey, as they're starting off in Jerusalem over here and going to Emmaus, this stranger to them appears. Though it's a stranger to them and they don't recognize him, the Bible tells us it's Jesus. Look at the compassion and the grace and the love for Jesus to to do things like this. And so during this three to four hour journey, Jesus walks and talks with them and they say things to Jesus like, man, we had hoped that this Jesus Messiah was gonna be the salvation of Israel. Just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine saying to Jesus that you don't recognize, we had hoped that he would have been the salvation and you're actually talking to him and Jesus' patience to keep walking with them, to keep journeying with them and he opens up the scriptures, opens up, talks about the prophecy and how it must be fulfilled. He's so generous. They still don't recognize him. They get all the way to Emmaus, this this three-hour journey or so and this crucial moment takes place and it's the moment where Jesus is going to move on and keep walking, but they invite him in to their home to eat a meal with him. And in that crucial moment where they invite him in, it's been a long journey, they begin to break bread together, and then their eyes are opened as they share a meal with this best friend, rabbi, messiah that they've loved. And their eyes are open, and they're like, it's Jesus. And they say this famous quote that I love, were our hearts not burning within us? Were our hearts not burning that whole journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus? Our hearts were burning. It was him all along. It was Jesus. My guess is that as they went from Emmaus back to Jerusalem, which the Bible tells us, they were going a lot faster back to Jerusalem to tell people than they were walking home in some defeat and some hopelessness. Jesus changes everything. In the middle of all these stories, the women at the tomb, the Emmaus Road, and then Jesus appearing to all of his disciples, we see this pattern arise. This pattern of how we live into resurrection people and Jesus' invitation for us. It's a three-step pattern, and if you're taking notes, it, it would be great to write down. The first step of this pattern is that Jesus offers the promise of love redeeming all things. All throughout his ministry, all throughout his time with these people, he promised them, I'm going to have to die, but I'll rise again. There's hope. He promises redemption. Jesus initiates the promise. And then we, as people, this is our part in the pattern. It's not a great part, but we're human. Our part is that we misremember his love. We misremember his love and his promises that he spoke. Would you turn to your neighbor and just say, I'm forgetful? I'm forgetful? Some of you all started laughing and agreed way too much with the person talking to you. They're like, yes, you are forgetful. I, I, I tend to be that way a, a little bit myself. Remember the foundation issues thing? It's real. It happens. We misremember his love. C- can I say this? Whether you're a person who naturally is forgetful or not, no one is exempt from the human condition. No one is exempt from being human that we are not all knowing. We are not all remembering. We all fall short of remembering God's goodness in our lives. But the third step is my favorite, my favorite part of this passage, my favorite part of this rhythm of becoming resurrection people. What does Jesus do when we we misremember? He has compassion to human forgetfulness. He stays with them on the road to Emmaus. I mean, imagine, he shows the disciples his hands and feet. They still don't believe. And if I'm Jesus, I'm like, are you kidding? Uh, it, it's right here. My, my, my hands, my feet, the scars, I'm right here. 
But that's not his posture. His posture is not shame. His posture is not frustration. His posture is not anger. His posture is compassion. To bring us into a people. You see, becoming a people is not instantaneous. Becoming a people is a journey of what that's like. I'm gonna invite the band back up as we finish this morning by talking about just that. We need to talk about what it means to be a people. A people that recognize this pattern of God's promises, our forgetfulness and his compassion to our forgetfulness and that we can live into becoming a resurrection people. Because remember, if you, miss, if you miss anything this morning, don't miss this. Our ultimate call is to be a resurrection people. So what does it mean to be a people? To help with this, I brought my trusty purple stool. It's kind of cool. It's purple because purple is the color of royalty. It's the Easter color that we celebrate Jesus and his, his kingdom, his royalty. Before I get to the stool, though, let me say this. When you are a people, when you become a person, you begin to orient your life around those kind of things. Whether it's sports, we have sports people, music people, politics people. Oh, there's all these different kinds of people that, that we are. And an easy example for me is, is a sports person. That's kind of how, how I grew up. Um, my family's a sports family, I'm a sports person. When you're a people, you orient your time, your energy, your money, your attention around that thing. And so because sports, we were becoming that kind of people, I would practice and work hard and, and do different events. If you do music or politics or anything like that, you invest money in there. You, you work on playing the trumpet or working on your voice. It's just what happens when you, when you become a people, you begin to invest your life in it. I believe the call from Luke 24, the resurrection story, and the call that I wanna to present to you today is that your call before anything else, before sports, music, politics, anything else that would pull you to be a people, if you're a Christian, your call is to be a resurrection person. What this means, if this is the foundation, again, no foundation issues, it would be really bad if this broke, I don't think it will. No. No foundation issues. He's the rock of our salvation. Our call as Christians is we do everything from the foundation of resurrection. In your marriage, you are a resurrection husband or wife. In your parenting, you live resurrection. In your workplace, you live resurrection. In your neighborhood, everything you do from Thanksgiving to Christmas to holidays, from Easter, everywhere in between, you live resurrection. That's the call. That's the call on your life is to stand and be a resurrection people. All the time. All the time. The pull on your life will be away from that. Dallas Willard says this great quote that has been so helpful with me as I've thought about what it means to become a people. He says this. Attention is the first act of love. Attention is the first act of love. Really easy way to illustrate that. For my marriage, I can't love Michaela without first giving her my attention. I have to listen to her. I have to move my attention from my job, what, what's next, what's crazy, and, and I have to bring it to her. That's the first step of love. How often, and again, this isn't always sinful or 
rebellion where we're choosing it. Sometimes it is. But how often do we, are we resurrection people and we just get a little bit distracted? Wow, parenting is just crazy busy. Or, oh my goodness, my job is just really stressful right now. Or, and our attention gets pulled onto other things in life and we forget. We misremember the resurrection life we all come from. We misremember our ultimate call. That's the tension we're dealing with. And the enemy, again, as Pastor Mike likes to say, if the enemy can't steal your heart, he'll steal your time. He'll steal your time by stealing your attention. He'll still put your attention on other things and it'll slowly pull you away from things. Now, most things in life are not mutually exclusive from being a resurrection person. If you're doing sports, do it with the resurrection life. If you're in family, do it with that. If you're playing music, do it for the glory of God. Everything's for the glory of God. It's not mutually exclusive. But I I do wanna say this, and I think this is so important. There are some seasons of your life where you can stand on resurrection life and stand on the foundation. There are other seasons of your life where it might look a little bit more like hands on your head really hard and you're just like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I, I, I feel so beaten down by life. I feel so broken. Maybe, it, maybe this Thanksgiving week was a little bit like that for you. Maybe if somebody was missing from around the table, maybe if you felt just the, the pain of loss and really to, you're, you're like, I want to stay a resurrection person, but I can't stand and proclaim it right now in this season of life. I'm just sitting, hoping that God comes through. Maybe there's another position for you with resurrection and that's kneeling and just begging, asking, pleading with God to bring about resurrection. He's graceful and gracious to whatever position you build your life on him, but the call is that it would stay resurrection. Stay resurrection. One other note. I don't want to just be a person. I felt this strongly as I was reading the passage and God impressed this on my heart. I don't want to just be a person that celebrates an event, the event of the resurrection. Now, don't hear me wrong. On Easter Sunday and on Sundays like this, you will hear me singing louder and worse than most people. I, I, I am ready to proclaim. I'm ready to celebrate the event of the resurrection. I'm all in. But I don't only want to be a person that celebrates an event. I want to become a person of resurrection. I want to open up my heart that Jesus would actually make me someone who my entire life, all that I am, operates from this place, the place of resurrection. I, I think that's the call today. And you know you can't be the one to do it. It's Jesus that actually gives you resurrection and you don't have to muster it up or find the perfect formula. But instead, there's three principles I wanna finish with of how you can consistently remain a resurrection person all the times of your life, all the situations, all the seasons. The first is remember, remember. In this passage, the disciples They were forgetful. Jesus had to remind them. He had to say, remember what I said to you. Remember my promises. Remember my goodness. We have to be a people that remember because we are forgetful. We have to remember. The second thing we have to do is we have to remain. When you remember who you're called to be, whatever whatever it takes, whether you have to sit down with your hands in your head or you stand up and proclaim, just remain on the foundation of resurrection life. Remain there. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in you, you will bear much you'll bear much fruit. We're called to remain. It's not the initiative action. It's just remaining, just staying close to him, whatever it takes. 
I, I think we have a slide for this idea as well, but you know sometimes you carry the call of a resurrection people and other times those around you carry this call for you. You know there are times when you can't remember, you can't remain by yourself. We're the body for a reason. We need each other. We need each other. This is why Sunday mornings are vital. This is why when you miss, we miss you and we feel the, the, the gap there because we need each other to remind and remember one another of who we are, that we're resurrection people. This is why your small groups are so vital when you meet with people and you just refresh each other of saying, yes, I do remember. I remember who I'm called to be. I remain with Jesus. And then finally, we remember we remain and on Thanksgiving weekend, can't get much more appropriate than we rejoice. We rejoice because Jesus has overcome the grave. He is for you. He loves you. And he is worthy of all of our praise, all of our love, everything we have. I want to close in responding to resurrection life this morning. And as I was praying and thinking about how to, how to respond and how to, how to call us into this, this life, I, I believe this is for me and this is for everyone. So I, I think you have an answer to this question. I think the Holy Spirit is going to do it. I don't, I don't want to take his job as he puts these things on your heart. But if you would, grab your next steps card and a pen. And, and I really do believe everybody can do this. So, so grab one. There's two questions I want you to answer on that next steps card. I'm gonna ask two questions and I would just love for you to grab that next steps card and answer it there and you can bring it forward and we'll pray and remember and rejoice with you, mourn with you. As we become a resurrection people, there's two questions I wanna ask and I'd love for you to just write an answer to each of them on your card. First question, what's an area of your personal life that you want to ask Jesus to bring resurrection to. By personal life, that could be your family. It could be your relationship with him. It could be an interpersonal relationship, whatever it looks like. I just want you to let the Holy Spirit guide you. What do you want Jesus to bring resurrection to? What do you want him to do what only he can do? If God would do what only he could do in your life, what would you ask him for? Faith going to step out and we're going to write an answer and just ask God to do it. And then second, what's something in our community that you would like God to do by his resurrection power? What's something in our community? And by our community, I mean your neighborhood, your job, our city, where, where we live. What's something in our community you want to ask Jesus to bring resurrection to? We have to become a people that say, Jesus, only you can bring this. Only you can do this. And we're gonna be full of faith, full of life. And we're full of faith and full of life because of this truth that I wanna finish with just as we began. He is risen. He is risen indeed.